This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is a Pro Wrestling Illustrated podcast. I'm your host, PWI's senior writer, Al Castle. Back once again on a very newsworthy week uh, of pro wrestling. Uh, last week, of course, we had the first battle in the Wednesday Night Wars with AEW premiering on, premiering on TNT and taking on uh, NXT. A couple days later, we had uh, SmackDown's debut on the Fox Network and all the news coming out of there. And if that wasn't enough, we had a very newsworthy uh, pay-per-view Sunday night, Hell in a Cell, if only for all the wrong reasons. And in just a moment, uh, my co-host Dan Murphy and I will break all that down. Um, We had this conversation before Monday Night Raw, so keep that uh, in mind. Not that Monday Night Raw changed much, uh, since they barely even acknowledged that there was a main event to uh, Hell in a Cell. Uh, But nevertheless, Dan and I uh, obviously have a lot to say, a lot of opinions to share uh, on that show, a very controversial show, uh, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. Uh, Then later on here, we will hear from New Japan star Lance Archer. Uh, He's got some time in WWE and TNA, and uh, now in the last several years has been spending his time at New Japan and really earning uh, earning himself a a reputation as uh, one of the, the better true heavyweights in New Japan, on the rise, we had our conversation just before uh, the start of this year's G1 Climax tournament, uh, which was in his home state uh, of Texas. So, just in terms of a little uh, context, that's when we talked. Uh, but uh, he had a lot to say about his career, where he's going, where he's been, uh, all of that. And he is uh, even at at I think he might be over forty now. He is very much one to watch right now. So. Uh, stay tuned. Listen to that in uh, just a moment. Uh, right now, let me tell you about the latest issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. It is the PWI 500. It's about the biggest issue that we do all year. On the cover is uh, a guy who's probably <laughs> uh, hiding out today, uh, Seth Rollins, your WWE Universal uh, Champion. Um, during better times, I'd say, when he wasn't cowering in the corner or uh, having matches thrown out uh, for trying to murder someone, uh, he is our number one ranked PWI 500 a wrestler, you could read all about him and 499 other uh, ranked wrestlers. Uh, we put a ton of effort into this magazine uh, every year. There's about, I think, 70 pages of content just on the 500 uh, in this issue. Everybody's talking about it. it, has been for several weeks. And uh, if you want to talk about it, you want to know what's in here, go to pwi-online.com and uh, check it out. You could download uh, the issue instantly onto your laptop, your mobile device, what have you, uh, that's a digital edition, uh, or you could order the print issue, or best of all, you can subscribe either to the print issue or digitally uh, save a lot of money over the cover price and not have to worry about having to go find a magazine in newsstands, uh, which, you know, for, for a lot of folks, gets harder and harder to do uh, every day. So uh, don't wait and uh, don't fret about having to find this thing, have it delivered right to your Inbox or your mailbox by going to pwi-online.com. I think our next issue is pretty much put to bed uh, by now. It's going to be the Women's 100, and um, that is the kind of female counterpart to the PWI 500. So uh, that's something to stay tuned for, Uh, and there's a lot more coming next issue. I know uh, Dan had an interview with 
uh, Chris Jericho, I put a put together a fun feature uh, looking at the the Wednesday Night Wars and some of the stakes uh, WWE versus uh, or AEW. I guess it's AEW versus NXT, but um, nevertheless. Uh, so there's going to be a lot uh, in in that issue as well. Before you know it, we'll have the uh, year-end awards and and so much more. So uh, you don't want to miss a single issue. So go go to pwi-online.com. Send us an email here at uh, pwi at kappapublishing.com. And uh, also certainly want to promote our uh, many social media accounts. Uh, I'm on Twitter quite a bit, um, live-tweeting events. I was live-tweeting the first episode of AEW last week. I was back on Sunday night uh, for Hell in the Cell. And other writers jump in from time to time uh, as well. So you can find us on Twitter, at OfficialPWI. At OfficialPWI is also our Instagram uh, handle. Uh, I've been told I should promote that more. I'm not a big Instagram guy, but I hope you are, and you'll uh, follow what we're doing uh, there. Uh, And you can also find us on Facebook. And uh, what else? Uh, The t-shirt. Yes, go to uh, ProWrestlingTees.com and pick up the official PWI uh, t-shirt. You can get it in a multitude of colors, either the uh, the classic white logo on the red shirt, uh, but I got them in front of me here. Uh, You can get a black shirt with uh, all kinds of different colored lettering. There's yellow, there's blue, there's white shirts. They all look fantastic, and they're all very reasonably priced. Uh, So go to ProWrestlingTees.com dot com and pick one up all right joined right now by my co-host dan murphy fellow senior writer how are you dan i'm doing well i'm sitting here i'm enjoying a nice hot apple cider a little bit of a little tiny bit of rum in there but sitting out on the porch (laughs) and enjoying a nice uh, autumn evening here at the homestead this is my kind of uh weather absolutely it's funny uh everybody looks forward to the the summer weather for the outdoors and this is when i finally get outside when it drops into the 50s or so so yeah i love this too the only problem the only problem for me is i'm in buffalo new york so this this time of period or this time of year uh lasts about three or four days before all of a sudden the snow starts flying and you know now it's it's bitter cold but as of right now we're in the sweet spot so it's uh it's very nice yes enjoy it while you can uh and there's been a lot to enjoy over the last week of wrestling you know it's funny this was going to be a big podcast after a huge week of news before last night and, and Hell in a Cell, and, and I thought Hell in a Cell in some ways was even kind of an anticlimactic uh, a finish to a, a big week, or, or it would have been, but it ended up maybe being like one of the, the biggest or the most newsworthy moments of, of the week for all the wrong reasons, right? So uh, a lot to talk about, uh, including Hell in a Cell, the first week of the, the supposed AEW Wednesday Night War uh, against NXT, and then also a big week with uh, SmackDown coming over. Uh, to Fox. Let's start with the freshest news, which is Hell in a Cell. I've got so much to say. I don't want to hog the microphone here, but suffice to say, uh, it, it's widely being talked about as one of the worst, uh, one of the worst finishes to one of the worst matches to one of the worst pay-per-views uh, of all time. The, the latter one of those might be unfair because other parts of the show were really good, but uh, the the finish of last night's Hell in a Cell match, Hell in a Cell pay-per-view, was. Uh, I think it, you know, a shout out to my buddy Blade Bra- uh, Braxton at WrestleCrap. This instantly goes into the WrestleCrap Hall of Fame with RoboCop and the Gobbledygooker. It was that bad. Uh, I think one of the low points in WWE history, which is to say one of the low points in pro wrestling history in, you know, the last 25 years. Your thoughts, Dan? All right. Now, it's it's rare for me 
normally I'm the one who's overstating things and you're reeling me back. This time <laughs> I'm, I'm going to turn the tables here. I mean, it was terrible. It, it shows that WWE is tone deaf and it, it, it really comes at a time uh, following the, the Cain Velasquez debut and suddenly, hey, let's put our focus on, you know, past or prime MMA fighters instead of our own homegrown talent. And, and, and then this, uh, you know, right in short order, it really shows that WWE is just floundering and, and lacks vision. Uh, and it shows that they are susceptible to a challenge in a real Monday Night War from AEW if AEW can get all of its ships in order and, and really kind of make a run at it. I don't think it's the worst match. I, I just think it's dumb booking. Now, that being said, this happened on a Sunday. We're recording this before Monday Night Raw. Who knows what's going to happen tonight? I, I'm sure that this is part of an ongoing storyline. And the, the, the problem with that is this is a pay-per-view, and not only a pay-per-view, but it's Hell in a Cell which is supposed to be the match that's the end, the absolute yes. end of all rivalries, when, when nothing else you know, has, has proven the logical conclusion to a feud, this is the end of the line. Instead, WWE made this the first match between The Fiend and Seth Rollins, with very little backstory. It's all one-sided. It's done in stupid, gimmicky red light. Uh, you, you think they would have learned their lesson at that WrestleMania when Bray Wyatt wrestled Randy Orton with yeah. the projections on the... And it was universally panned. Um, but no, they, they doubled down on it. They, they took their top baby face and made his offense completely weak because the fiend got up from everything. And then it ended with him just weak and helpless and laid out. I mean, it just told, it, it didn't, the booking didn't help anyone. It didn't help Seth Rollins. It didn't help Bray Wyatt and the fans crapped all over. It. So there was no point for doing this. Um, no, I'm not saying it's Robocop bad. It's not WCW Chucky uh, bad, uh, but it is really showing a blind spot of uh, WWE's creative team right now. I, I think it is as bad uh, as both of those, and in some ways a lot worse because the stakes were a lot higher. I mean, uh, Chucky was some kind of side storyline, I think, with Rick Steiner, and even the RoboCop thing was the kind of thing that embarrassed them for a night, but they were able to uh, get right back on track with their storyline. As you touched on, there is so much damage in the wake of, of this match to two of your, your most important stars. I mean, your top babyface in Seth Rollins and um, Bray Wyatt, the, the Fiend, one of the hottest acts they've come up with in, in a long time. And they're both incredibly damaged going forward. That I don't, I don't know what you do with them. The, the, uh, the kind of unintended, uh, maybe uh, a good side effect of all this is that there is a lot of interest right now in WWE. I mean, WWE has been the talk of the wrestling world over the last 24 hours, probably more so than if they had a fantastic match in the main event, just because it was so incredibly historically bad. And I think there's a lot of uh, wondering and interest in what was that? What were they thinking and, and how they go forward? Uh, and, and you touched on, on timing, and I think timing is uh, such a big part of this story in, in so many different ways. For one, as you touched on, one of the biggest problems was that they started off with the highest stakes match that they could and really uh, booked themselves in, in a corner. So I think what they were going for, they could have accomplished in a standard match with disqualifications, right? Because you could have uh, Seth lose his cool, lose his mind, and uh, it's a little more uh, easily explained that the ref has got to call off the match, all of that. Um, but... In the highest stakes match, you know, that, that this is a problem with just having Hell in the Cell built into the, the calendar. It used to be 
it was the the organic culmination of the of the hottest feuds. Uh, and in this case, as you touched on, this is the beginning of a storyline, and they went right to Hell in a Cell. And so, if you you tell the story that Bray Wyatt is basic, and, and there's all kinds of problems with this, but that Bray Wyatt is superhuman, and you know the the finish that beat Brock Lesnar a couple months ago clean, uh, multiple stomps. Uh, I think maybe Brock it took whatever it was four stomps or something to to uh, pin him cleanly. What did Bray uh, get yesterday? 11? I don't know what it, what it was. Something crazy and was kicking out at one. So now we establish that Bray is superhuman. And if if you go with that premise, then the only way for your, your top babyface to beat him is, you know, extraordinary measures. But you already did that. It, that was hell in the cell. So where do you go from here? A, a cage match? You know, you, you can only well, lower only, the stakes. Right. And not only is Bray superhuman, the fiend superhuman, but you've also emasculated your top baby face. Oh, my you, God. You're, you're, yeah. you, all of a sudden, that's the biggest problem. His curb stomp, which was the most devastating move for your band and, and came back from the band. Uh, and all of a sudden, now it's, it's completely useless. So and what does Seth, Seth Rollins have left? I mean, the, the pedigree. I, I mean, you've just killed your top guy. And, and Seth, for no... No benefit. Yeah, and and it's not just that that right. You you've just um, taken away the the stop as having any effect. Uh, I, I, using the 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 kindest kind of uh, most appropriate word possible. There, there are other ones that I think fit better. He's a total wuss, right? I mean, here's your your top guy, your your flag bearer, and he's just uh, you know cowarding in 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 the corner uh uh you know scared and and almost crying this was before last night and uh, all the measures he looks terrible i mean I, now, I don't know how you go forward with him there are ways to book a second chapter and and make it intriguing but the thing is it didn't need to get to this point uh, basically it's booking yourself out of a corner yes um yeah. maybe it's part it's of the plan control. to turn yeah. seth rollins heel and and make the you know because there was WWE had to see that there was a, and they, they put the fiend right into the main event of um, a Hell in a Cell after not being around for eight months. I mean, you know, up until Bray finally returned, you know, sitting out with this whole uh, Firefly Funhouse and, and everything, and rebuilding him, and then pushing him right out to the main event, basically. Um, so they knew that the fans were backing it. They knew that the Firefly Funhouse segments were getting over. They knew that the, the, the groundswell was there. So maybe the thought was turn Seth heel, um, maybe do something where you, you have him, you know, being consoled afterwards by, by Becky Lynch and he snaps at Becky Lynch and that's the heel turn that, that the fiend has brought this out of him, whatever. But again, to do that at, after the, the hell in a cell, which should be the culmination of the feud just leaves, leaves everyone feeling ripped off. So there are ways to go with it. Uh, you can really kind of get the, the killer instinct that comes out of Seth or he can crumble or, or whatever. There can be a second act to the story, which is why I don't think it's the worst thing in, in history. And I, I think that I'm more intrigued about watching Raw tonight to see where they go with this, how they book themselves out of this mess, than I would be if it was a you know four-star match. Yes. Um, but that's just kind of, um, 
it, that's backwards. That's that's you're seeing your favorite sports team. You know, how are we going to come back from a, a 21 point deficit in the third <laughs> quarter? You know, the, the key is not to get into a 21 point deficit. You know, and and WWE had the opportunity to to go up and get that big lead early on, and and then walk through the storyline. But instead, they put themselves in a hole here. So it, it's it's really just kind of a mess, and it was just a, a very poorly booked match. Yeah, I I, I agree. I do think, and I, I've heard some defenders it's amazing that they're out there but but some defenders out there talking about what the long game is here for them and uh i i do see it and i think you touched on it the idea is uh to show the dark side of of seth rollins and the whole storyline of of the ref throwing it out because you know i think he said something along the lines of seth this isn't you you're gonna kill him that kind of thing um so i i get that um and I have tried in in the last several years to be sort of more diplomatic in in my criticism and give WWE the benefit of the doubt and always think ahead. Let's see where it goes. And um, you're right. This they could somehow salvage this. You know, I. But none of that erases what a debacle um, last night was. And uh, you you don't have to tell a terrible chapter of a of a story to get to the end of that story. So. Uh, there, there is no defending what a disaster last night uh, was. Th- there is potentially trying to kind of lift the nose of the plane and pull out of it. Uh, but there, there's no... And, and I hope that they aren't in defense mode. You know, what I'd like to see from WWE... I don't know if a mea culpa is, is um, they, publicly they don't need to do anything, but you know. Well, it, I'd personally like to see all the McMahons come out and say it's the start of a new era beginning tonight. <laughs> I, I wonder, I you think, know, I've thought about that throughout the day, and, and you're right, that's the worst thing that, that they could do. Really what they just need to do is just go forward, but they should not try to defend or excuse what a mess last night was. That doesn't mean abandon what you did, you, you, you fix it, you repair it, you tell the rest of your story. Uh, but I hope that they are not so stubborn or clueless as to not see what a mess last night was. And I hope, and this again, not something that needs to be done publicly. I hope in uh, I hope in in a meeting today, you know, with the creative team, Vince McMahon uh, was honest and candid enough to say, "Wow, we really stunk that one up last night." I, I'm not sure what we were thinking. That needs to be the approach going forward. There needs to be a recognition of why that was such a disaster. But here's the thing. My, my concern is that Vince McMahon might have been backstage high-fiving creative team after all yeah. this. Because, again, this is, in one sense, an un, unintended consequence of the WWE Network. Pay-per-views used to have a $40, $50 price tag. And if the fans felt ripped off, they wouldn't order the next one. Pay-per-view buys would drop down, and WWE was forced to, to do something to address that. Uh, put new guys on top, change storylines, change direction, change creative, whatever the case may be. With the network, it's just another pay-per-view. You get another one every month. It's part of your $10 a month, and, and that's all there is to it. There's People are going to complain, but no one's canceling the network over this. I mean, we've seen people be upset about WWE pay-per-views since networks rolled out. And, you know, it flattened, and there's been a little bit of a drop, but WWE is still in its comfort zone with, with the subscriber base, and that's not changing. So there's nothing compelling WWE to really hit the ball out of the park on their big, what used to be the pay-per-views. Now it's just another card. It's more content from the network. The thing is, because everyone's talking about it, you know, it, it's the stupidest phrase in the world. And 
Eric Bischoff used it for the title of his autobiography, but controversy creates cash. And there is a mindset that that's true. I mean, if that's true, then WCW wouldn't have lost $60 million in its final year. But there is that point of view that people are talking about WWE. It's going to make people tune in tonight. So I think Raw ratings are going to be higher tonight than they were last week and higher than they otherwise would have been after a B-grade pay-per-view only because people want to see what they do next. And if that is the case, WWE is winning. Yes. And and look, they should uh, celebrate if ratings are up today. That's all good, right? So, And you're right. It got them more attention. And, and it's not that they can't benefit from what happened last night, but I hope they learn from what happened last night. I hope they, they, they realize why there is such a backlash today and they're not just kind of, you know, closing their ears and eyes off to it saying, you're all wrong and, and we're right. We know what we're doing and you're not. No, a, a, that match was preposterous. Uh, to have, uh, I thought it was on the pace of being one of the worst matches of the year before the finish. It was just absurd. You know, Bray with the giant hammer beating up on, on Seth. Seth, um, again, with, with the ladder, me and my, my 10-year-old are watching, cracking up at how bad it was and thinking of, my, my again, my kid who's a fifth grader gets the physics of this better than they do. Like, why would putting a chair between the ladder hurt more and then... Uh, toolbox on top of the ladder, on top of the chair, and then the a a sledgehammer shot. Uh, I I could I I will gladly take one of those right now. <laughs> you know that that doesn't that's not how it works. If 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 you wanna uh you know if the idea was that he was trying to kill uh Bray, then get all that stuff out of that way out of the way. Get that clutter out of the way. I mean what you would do is you'd hit him in the face with a, a hammer, which is what Bray just did earlier and wasn't an issue. So it was just so preposterous in so many ways. It's another challenge of of trying to do these hardcore matches without really being able to push the envelope and and I'm sympathetic to WWE in that extent as far as limitations on blood and things like that. I, I get it. But then you can't have it both ways. You can't get, you know try to tell the story of um, Seth going too far with the violence and then do this real Mickey Mouse stuff that uh, anybody's watching realizes that that doesn't – I don't want to say it doesn't hurt, but that's not going to kill a guy. I mean, come on. It, well, it and, and the other thing with that is you think of what happened on SmackDown where – the WWE, uh, they, they surprised everybody. They brought in Keenan Velasquez. They brought in the old UFC rival of Brock Lesnar. And, and they're building that program. You know, The thing is, you can do a UFC match. You can do matches, a knockout punch, like the, the way Lesnar laid out uh, Randy Orton at SummerSlam like three or four years ago with the elbow strikes. Vicious. And now there was blood in that. It was hard way, but it was blood. But it looked vicious and it looked scary and it looked real. And MMA strikes and chokes, you can do you can do hardcore without making it cartoonish. You don't need to drop an anvil on a guy's head yeah. to, to, to knock him out. And the fans are sophisticated enough to buy that. If they weren't, they wouldn't have recognized who Cain Velasquez was when he came walking out. And again, probably thirty percent of the audience didn't. But WWE went and signed him. They've been pushing Brock Lesnar for four, five, six years, whatever the, the case has been. The point is, you don't need to have all this gimmickry. The fans are willing to buy it if it looks real. But instead, no, all this cartoonish super violence and the bright red lights, and then the 
blood packets, blood packets for God's sakes. There's I think no blood packets are, that, are fine. I think they should have been doing that for years. You know that it gives the illusion of blood without you know blading. I think it's fine. It, it is better than blading, I suppose. But somebody coughing up blood from a mandible claw yeah. in, in, in 2019 is the silliest thing of all time. I mean, it, people know the mechanics of it. You're not going to cough up blood because somebody's pinching your tongue. I mean, it, it's just ridiculous. So, yeah. so you, I you, don't know. It, it, it doesn't need to be screwball comedy. You know, if you want to have a horror character, it doesn't have to be supernatural. Do things that were, would really be scary. WWE just kind of missed. So, so here's my thought on on all of this. Again, getting back to the theme of, of timing, and, and you mentioned uh, Friday Night SmackDown and AW last week. It was a big week for wrestling. I don't know that we get the match that we got last night were it not for the events of the the last week. And here's what I uh, mean by that. And, and I'll give you another sports analogy. Uh, another uh, UFC analogy. Sometimes you get um, one of these matches on paper where you get a guy who is a specialist at something, right? Let's say that he's like a uh, an amateur wrestler, an elite amateur wrestler, and the opponent preparing for him just does nothing but but prepare for the wrestling that's coming his way. So he's just drilling takedowns and, and uh, defense and that kind of thing. And then the match gets in the octagon and the wrestler starts striking. Right. And you're caught off guard. This isn't the fight you prepared for. And it it just screws you up. To me, that's kind of what happened here. And and what I mean by that was, I think last week, uh, the debut of AEW on TNT, Vince McMahon, not really knowing what AEW is or, or, or who this Kenny Omega or these young bucks are, or they must be another one of these. Uh, kind of, you know, wrestlers that that do flips and just a lot of, like, technical wrestling. So they respond to AEW by putting on a wrestling show, right, on on a Wednesday night with, with NXT. Just all action, bell to bell, no frills, darkly lit, small little uh, performance center in, in Florida. They... Uh, essentially, they, they play defense, and they just put on a show that responds to what they think AEW is going to be. And then AEW comes forward with sports entertainment. They, they, they out-sports entertained WWE. They out-WWE WWE. And there was a show that had uh, comedy skits and, and celebrity cameos and people being uh, DDT'd through glass tables and pyro, and a 10,000-seat arena with fans screaming, and, you know, it, it was what WWE does. Uh, and they were caught with their pants down, uh, and and if you were a casual fan and you were— and, and what's more, the star power was on AEW, guys like John Moxley and, and Chris Jericho and Cody. As far as the mainstream fans, there was more WWE stars on TNT last week than on uh, USA— so and they lost, right? So they they got maybe it's an exaggeration to say they got trounced in the ratings, but they got beat handily in the ratings. So to me, they go into Sunday night saying we'll show you sports entertainment, and we get that mess. I mean, I think that was them overcorrecting, overcompensating um, for being shown up at their own game last week. I can't believe that. It's possible. It does make sense logically, but. If WWE, which is the, the leader in this game, and has been for a very long time, um, if they're booking their pay-per-views on the fly based on the reaction to a show on Wednesday night, I mean, that's, that's a damning, damning bit of, uh, you know, 
reality, if, if that's true. I can't imagine that they're doing it. I'd have to think that this show was set aside regardless. I'm sure they tweak things. They always tweak things the day of the show and things like that. But they had to have these storylines in place regardless of what AEW did, I would think. If not, then it really does indicate some severe paranoia uh, on behalf of WWE. Uh, I, I don't think Vince is clueless. I think he knows who Kenny Omega is. I think he knows who the Young Bucks are. He certainly knows who Cody and Jack Swagger and, and Moxley are. It, I think that he may be thinking, along what I'm thinking, I don't think any of those guys can get over or stay over. I think that uh, Cody never really got an opportunity in WWE. He got a couple little mini pushes with Legacy and Stardust uh, in working the angle with uh, Stephen Ar- Ar- Harmel. Was it Armel? Um, um, hell, yeah. and, and, you know, uh, you had Jack Swagger had a world title run, but just never took off. McMahon tried everything he could to try to turn Dean Ambrose into the next Stone Cold Steve Austin. And Ambrose just gave off the vibe of just not giving a damn. And, and so I, I think McMahon looks at it like, okay, yeah, the fans are mildly interested and I don't blame them. They'll tune in for three or four weeks, realize that these are B players. And, and I, I really think they are all B players and they'll come back to WWE. So I don't think that he's, I don't think it's a matter of him not knowing who these guys are or, or being out sports entertained. If anything, he's under, underestimating them. Um, but I, I think that, you know, he's probably right to, in, in my opinion. But in any case, I, I think that, yes, NXT did get a little bit outshined by AEW and AEW's debut. That'll go back and forth. It'll be interesting to see. But I really hope that Helen, Helen Cell wasn't affected by, uh, you know, Vince McMahon's knee-jerk response to AEW. Do you think that Vince McMahon um, watches what NXT put forth in opposition to AEW and is okay with it? I I, I was live-tweeting during uh, last Wednesday night and talking about how one of my first takes was there's no way NXT stays in... Um, the uh, their little performance center there in in Orlando, and you get the backlash of fans saying, "No, no, this is what it needs to be. This is why it's an alternative." And and they're not wrong. I'm not saying they're wrong, but there's no way that Vince McMahon allows NXT to stay as it is if it is what he's putting uh, up against AEW. Do you agree with that? No, uh, because here's why: I don't think the McMahon views the talent that's in AE or in NXT as being ready for prime time. I think his hand was forced a little bit. He wanted to have some kind of counter-programming to go up against AEW and, and at least take a bite out of their, their ratings at first and, and see what he could do. He didn't have the manpower to create a third brand or to find a way to shift things around. They could have maybe done a women's show. I mean, it's been talked about for a while now, but it hasn't happened. NXT was just the easiest way to just, okay, we can negotiate with USA. We're already doing Wednesday nights for NXT. Let's just get it on there and, and see how it goes. But I think McMahon looks at NXT as these guys are all good. They're learning the WWE way of doing things. They don't know it yet, but the ones that stand out will eventually get their chance to make it on, on in WWE on the main roster. Right now, he, he doesn't consider them as being WWE worthy. It's not even really a WWE versus AEW. For him, it's just, let's counter-program against AEW. I have another product that's not WWE. It's our developmental guys. So, you know, I I don't see him wanting to go and and, and change that and put those guys, you know, try to book NXT in front of 10,000 people. 
because I don't think he has the confidence that they could draw that. If he did, he'd have them up in, in WWE in the main roster. So why put it up against AEW? I mean, th- this is what kind of puzzles me is that they sort of deliberately uh, put themselves in a situation to lose a, f- a fight that they didn't even need to have. So uh, NXT was doing just fine on, on the network with its following, and it was kind of the the untouched, pristine brand uh, the that the, the hardcore fans, the, the internet fans, it was the darling of, of those fans. And now they put in a position... I I don't know, uh, and I don't... You say that they could go back and forth in the ratings, and I suppose they could. Uh, I don't think this NXT that we've seen, and I think it's great. I, I, I love uh, everything about NXT. I don't think this NXT beats AEW in the ratings. I don't want to say ever, but not most weeks. I think the product that AEW put forth beats... NXT nine out of ten weeks, uh, the NXT that we got. So why sign up to lose? And I think that's what what they didn't see. I mean, I get that they lost the slot on USA when SmackDown moved to Fox, uh, but then why not put NXT on Tuesday nights on USA? I mean, I just think that they they overestimated um, their ability to draw and underestimated what what AEW would do. They might have, but the alternative point of view on that is, yeah, even if they do lose consistently in the ratings and, and, you know, on the Wednesday nights, they're still going to at least take away 30% of the potential viewership that AEW would get, even with a losing effort. And that's taking a bite out of AEW's audience. And they don't have to really risk anything to do that. They don't have to hotshot storylines. I think it hurts NXT. Uh, I, I think it makes them look like a loser brand. Less than well, AEW. And that's fine. Because, because they should be. They're, they're a developmental territory. AEW has a, a billionaire behind it. They're on national TV. They're, they're trying to promote themselves as a viable world championship. WWE is just putting its, its developmental guys out there. Guys who aren't even good enough for the main roster. I it, don't it's know a, if that's a true. Win-win I mean, I think situation. It's, no, it, I, I know they're, they are. They are. Certainly, they are good enough. But I think that the way they're positioning them, because what can happen is if somebody shines, if Keith Lee really has a breakout in NXT, Great. Bring him on the main roster and give him a monster push. And the brand can stay as the brand is. It's not going to hurt the brand. Keith Lee escapes the kind of bad uh, baggage, if there is any. And, and you just let the brand compete against AEW. So it doesn't matter if they're winning or losing. They're hurting the competition. And I think that's or they're, they're not letting the competition get as many followers as they could have gotten without counter program. And I think that's all that the man's looking to do. Here's what I think is going to happen. Uh, and, and you saw maybe a hint of it already with Finn Balor debuting on, on NXT. Uh, they, I think you see a lot more of that. I think they will leave the um, uh, Full Sail and will move to, to arenas. I think they're going to get the production value and the treatment to some extent that the, the main brands do. Um, I, and this is a, a, a real tricky one. I think you're going to see more top uh, or, or main roster stars moved over to NXT, try to create some parity among, uh, I guess, the three brands. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think Vince McMahon's going to roll over to AEW beating them every week. And without him putting forward what he thinks is is the best, uh, his best foot forward. And uh, 
the the appeal of NXT always uh, has been that it's not Vince McMahon's vision of WWE. It's Triple H's vision of WWE. But I think that ends once they start going head-to-head with AEW on Wednesday night. So that was what always concerned me about moving um, NXT uh, to USA and essentially putting NXT more on the radar of Vince McMahon because the rap always was that he wasn't really watching that closely. He wasn't monitoring that closely. That's why you'd have acts that were huge in NXT come over to the, the main roster and flounder because... McMahon wasn't really familiar with them, and and once he got exposed to them, maybe wasn't buying them. Uh, so this is, you know, again back to the theme of timing. This is, uh, I, I think WWE took a situation that didn't need to be this bad, right? I mean, a another competitor going live on on Wednesday night on a major network. And they just compounded the problem so many different ways for themselves in uh, both what they put forward uh, last Wednesday night, which was a fine show. I you know, I think NXT is a fine show, but putting forth a show that that looked relative to what AEW did, kind of minor league to uh, mainstream fans, um, and then we could talk some about what we saw on, on Friday night. You already touched on Kane Velasquez. That was. Really polarizing. I've got mixed feelings about it. To me, kind of the bigger story there was what they did to Kofi, right? And and again, doing some WWE math here. So the curb stomp was enough, uh, or a few curb stomps was enough to beat Brock Lesnar, who just beat your WWE champion in like five seconds. But like twice as many of those curb stomps is not enough to beat. It, it gets a one count on, on Bray Wyatt. So how do you possibly book Bray Wyatt going forward? But but that aside, uh, let me get your thoughts on 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 Kofi Kingston. You know, we've talked a lot about him, written a lot about him. Certainly in the PWI 500, he had this kind of Cinderella year. The the this kind of you know uh, uh, fairy tale story of climbing from the bottom all the way to the top. You know, carried on the the support of fans for whatever it's been the last six seven months and. Five seconds, zero offense, uh, maybe it was seven seconds, but but basically one move puts away Kofi, one, two, three. Yeah, no, Kofi, a Cinderella story, yeah. Definitely a feel-good moment of WrestleMania, him winning the title. Um, I never bought into Kofi. I never saw him as a champion. I never saw him as a viable world champion. I never saw him as a draw. He was... He was a feel-good story. You don't want to hate on the guy, but he, certainly he's not the next big thing. He, he was a popular guy who had a uh, uh, nice little five, six-month title run, and, and that's great. I mean, that's, I mean, a lot of guys go their whole career without that. Um, but he was never a standout guy. Even as champion, he was still presented as a clown. He, he kind of a joke. I mean, yes, he could wrestle, but he's out there throwing the pancakes and doing all the New Day shtick. Um, and yeah, it, it got cheers, but there weren't a lot of matches as champion that you can look at and say, this is a classic match. This showed the intensity of a uh, Shawn Michaels, uh, Steve Austin, or Steve Austin against Stone Cold, or these classic matches that you think of. There were none of those with Kofi Kingston. He was just a feel-good character who they gave the title to for a few months. That being said, yes, he deserved more. Um, I know that they wanted to make an impact. You're on Fox. You really put over Brock Lesnar. But it's gotten so ridiculous to the point where Brock Lesnar ended the streak. Brock Lesnar has been shown as the the undefeatable monster for years and years and years because, theoretically, whoever beats him gets the rub and and becomes that guy. 
And instead, nobody ever beats him. And he comes back and he just keeps on beating up anybody else who, who gets over. And, and when WWE finally gets on Fox and promoting it all day on all the NFL games, WWE wrestlers everywhere, pushing the show to, to all high heavens, the spotlight isn't on Kofi, who's been the guy who's been running the brand for the past five months and, and has really built it up and, and become such a popular face of the company. No. He's an afterthought that gets buried in favor of Keen Velasquez, who's wrestled three matches. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just really a, a frustrating uh, set of events. I think Kofi deserved better, but I think it really indicates uh, the, the low esteem that WWE had in Kofi Kingston all along. He was, a, to be honest, a feel-good PR story. That's all he was, and until it was time for the main money matches to begin on SmackDown, it was time to put the belt back on the man. Yeah, I think I mostly agree with you, and I liked Kofi a lot, but but I agree that, you know, he didn't do himself too many favors with some of the performances in the last few months. I don't think he ever had that breakout match. Some of that was, I think, due to the opponents that he drew. The reality is with Adolph Ziggler and Randy Orton, you're going to have a certain kind of match, and that's pretty much what he had. Uh, but he also got, you know, Samoa Joe and didn't send the word, set the world on fire with Samoa Joe and, and some others. Um, you know, uh, Kevin Owens, and they were all like good, uh, but but it wasn't that next level. And uh, I I do think part of it was the booking, and it reminds me of how um, to some extent Daniel Bryan was booked after he won the world title uh, years ago at, at WrestleMania 30, and, and going back further when Rey Mysterio won the uh, the world heavyweight title back in 2006 it's like we, we're gonna put it on him but we're never really fully gonna believe the guy you kind of like put the title on him and then you spend the entire title uh, the entire title reign kind of apologizing for it I mean he literally did not headline a pay-per-view you know all, all those months right. he had uh, the the title he did not headline one pay-per-view uh, and so it's like you're telling your fans we're not really serious about this guy but you're right I think that the act also didn't really lend itself to world title credibility. He was still, uh, I think, I don't know what if there's a backstory here, but but I uh, part of it, and I know th this would be an issue with Vince McMahon, I think cosmetically he didn't look that great. I mean, the last time I saw, uh, you know, you see him in the ring Friday night with, with Brock, he looks like a high school athlete. I don't know what happened, but he's like, uh, he looks like he dropped 50 pounds. I mean, he's, he's rail thin. Um, I think there is charisma there. I think there is... He's a really, really likable guy, and, and I got to interview him a few months ago, and some of that comes through. I mean, how do you not root for the guy? Uh, but yeah, I don't know that it was ever a a fully formed kind of world title act. So um, look, he had a great you know few months. He gets to have that on his resume. Hopefully, uh, that elevates him kind of going forward, that he will remain kind of an upper-tier player, a guy that maybe you could plug into the main event scene. Here or there, I would have liked to see him get more. I, I think you could have could have accomplished basically the same thing that they did with uh, giving Kofi a little more offense. I mean, you think about the matches that Finn Balor had with uh, Brock or AJ Styles years ago had with Brock. You could tell that story of the underdog fighting from from beneath, but using his speed and his agility to to get something happening in that match. But this was le less than a squash. I mean, I think it's literally the fastest win probably that Brock had since he came back uh, seven years ago. 
as for Kane, I got mixed feelings about it. I think it's also a, another thing that is potentially a response to, to AEW. You know, the, the stories were out there that they were talking to Kane as well. And, you know, he's the next big thing because he's such a natural in, in the couple of matches that he had. People have said, and he's got the credibility of being a former uh, UFC heavyweight champion. But I got to say, look, I, I'm, a, I'm a UFC fan, so I certainly know who Cain Velasquez is. Uh, I, I think, I don't know how mainstream fans, I don't know if most people, I don't know if a quarter of, of fans knew who that was. And what you see is a guy who is a lot shorter than Kane, who looks really bad without his shirt on, um, you know, go in there and and Brock is scared. Uh, you know, it it's a lot to... to uh, kind of mortgage your top guys uh, that way to a, a kind of an unknown commodity and that they're going right to this match at, at the next Saudi Arabia show maybe tells you that Kane is not long for WWE anyway. So I don't know. That is one place though where, where I can give them the benefit of the doubt. I did pop Friday night. I thought it was a hot finish to, to SmackDown, um, but I can get why, why some people are uneasy about it. So uh, yeah, I, I thought the visual. I thought the visual was terrible. I think that Cain Velasquez. I, I know that. It was, yes, he does have the UFC background, but Brock Lesnar is is just something that transcends both sports. He looks like a monster. He yes. looks. He has the, the the look and the feel. Cain Velasquez does not. He he just looks like a dopey, tall, skinny, fat guy. And yeah. I know he's a great fighter. Obviously, he beat Brock Lesnar in the octagon. He is. But without having the buildup and everything, it, it, it reminds me of when TNA did the, the big turning point August 1st or August 4th announcement, whatever, years back, where they were hyping this, hyping up for weeks, big announcement, big announcements. And it was Tito Ortiz who walked out, and there was dead silence, dead silence, because the audience didn't know and didn't care. And he just looked like another guy that they didn't know with no buildup. So WWE has the benefit of having episodic weekly TV and this, this roster of including NXT, what's say 120 guys and they can build those guys. And, and they also have the ability to build those guys by, by controlling who wins and loses, which MMA doesn't have the luxury of theoretically, unless, you know, you believe the conspiracy theories, <laughs> but they have the opportunity to build people up over time and make them somebody that the fans are vested in. Instead, WWE is just, well, hey, why don't we, why don't we bring this guy in? Because we've got nobody. Because we can't build, we've forgotten how to build somebody up, and they're grasping at straws. Now, maybe it's a one-off. I think what it'll probably be is uh, maybe a non-decision in Saudi Arabia, build a rematch, have Cain Velasquez win, and then lose the title back. Kind of a Goldberg-type thing. Um, you know, stretch them out for three matches, four matches, something along those lines until it's run clear and you realize that the guy's green and, and, you know, he's only had three matches to his name and shouldn't be carrying the most prestigious title with the largest company on earth. Um, but it, it really speaks to WWE undervaluing its own talent. A guy like Kofi, who the fans have, have rallied around in favor of this guy that they think might deliver something. And it's really, it's offensive. I mean, if you're a wrestling fan and you're not offended by them kind of burying uh, Kofi Kingston in favor of Cain Velasquez, um, you know, then, I don't know. You're watching something completely different than I am. Well, let me throw this out there because we're, we're uh, putting this on WWE. Is it possible that this was uh, uh, influenced by Fox? I mean, we know that 
Fox knows who Cain Velasquez is. He he headlined their first show on uh, Fox uh, TV uh, when UFC went over to to Fox years ago. Lost in in short order, uh, but he's a a known commodity by Fox Sports because he was a big player in UFC for a number of years. You know they have this is their big uh, premiere SmackDown on Friday night. Uh, they certainly want The Rock. They certainly want Brock Lesnar. These are uh, uh, names that they know that are easy to market, that look great on TV. They see, again, puny little Kofi Kingston, and they think, eh, really? And they get word that Cain Velasquez is available. Uh, so I I wonder, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, I do think that at the end of the day, you know, Vince McMahon is going to call the shots, but I wonder if there was some influence there, some some leaning the, by Fox. I could definitely see, it, it makes sense. I could definitely see Fox having that influence. But I would also think that WWE should have the the backbone to say, "Listen, you're the one paying us five billion. I think it was five billion for that TV deal. You're the one paying us this money because you want our product, and with our product comes our expertise. And we've been doing this since 1963, and in the modern era since '85. Really, we do this. We know what we're doing. So you either buy our product and let us give us the the freedom to do with it what we will, or just don't buy our product." Um, doing something where, you know, hey, we're going to do this and let's just uh, bury our own talent in favor of Cain Velasquez is, is kind of uh, a really unvincent man decision to make. Well, they didn't help their case in claiming that they know what they were doing <laughs> a couple nights later with uh, a Hell in a Cell. So uh, we will see. Good point. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, a, a fun week to be a fan wherever you uh, you, you kind of sit on, on some of these issues. Uh, so... Uh, it'll be fun to talk about this more going forward. Thanks so much, Dan. Appreciate it. We're going to tune into. I mean, some of this might be completely out of date by the time you listen to it because we're about an hour away from from Raw starting. So maybe we get some answers as far as uh, where this is all going. And uh, when we do, we will be back here to talk about it. Thanks so much, Dan. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Okay, have a good one. Right now, let's hear from one of the stars of New Japan Pro Wrestling. It's Lance Archer. Hey, Lance. How are you? Good, man. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for uh, taking the time. Absolutely. So, so uh, where are you now? I know, I know uh, big day uh, coming up. Uh, I guess the end of this week in Dallas. Or are you already here uh, in the states? Yeah, yeah. My home's here in Dallas, so I'm home. I'm home. I'm, I'm <laughs> getting ready and everything. So. Okay. I knew you were originally from Dallas. I know you, you were still living there now. So, uh, obviously, this is extra special for you, right? I mean. Uh, uh, I dealt with this talking to some some guys from New Japan and Ring of Honor when um, uh, the show at Madison Square Garden happened earlier this year. The notion that you think um, if you're not working for WWE, you're not going to have the opportunity to work these kind of buildings. So for you, it's got to be a huge thrill working uh, the arena there uh, in Dallas on such a big stage for the G1 that you haven't done in in years. So can you help put into words what a big deal it is uh, coming up for you? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's one of those things where, um, I mean, I'm originally from Texas. Uh, grew up in a little small town called Austin, Texas, in the Brian College Station. Started wrestling out of Austin, Texas, you know, and then I moved to Dallas like in 2002. You know, and there's obviously a rich history of professional wrestling in Dallas with the Von Eric family and world class and all that stuff from the history. Um, you know, and this will be my real first time to actually wrestle in the American Airlines Center. I, I was lucky enough way back in the day when I had my short-lived run with WWE, 
to do a run in there, but I didn't actually get to wrestle. So this would be my first time to actually get to wrestle in the American Airlines Center here in Dallas, Texas. And it's going to be in front of a ton of my friends, a ton of my family who are all in town uh, and coming to the show and whatnot. And there's a lot of fans from this area. You know, I, I kind of got my start here in the Dallas area. There's a local small promotion called PCW Head TV here in Dallas and whatnot. So a lot of people, you know, hopefully still remember that. And, uh, you know, watching me from back in those days, you kind of saw how my career has gone from my time in TNA to my short time in WWE and then my best time in the business, and that's been with New Japan. So the fact that New Japan Pro Wrestling is coming back to the U.S., it's coming to Dallas, Texas, it's coming to my backyard. The American Airlines Center is like 20 minutes from my house if there's no traffic. Well, there's always traffic, so... Um, but you know, it, it, for me, it's beyond special. And like I said, because my family and friends and all the fans who kind of been around my career, my whole career, uh, are, are going to be in attendance and watching and seeing, you know, the, the scale and scale, uh, spectacle that is New Japan Pro Wrestling and especially the G1 Climax Tournament. Uh, it, it, it's really hard to put in words exactly how cool and how special it is. But believe me, it's one of it's going to be one of the coolest moments of my career. Are, are you? Um hoping that this is the beginning of another stage uh, of your career. I, I know you, you've prim primarily been involved in the tag team team in New Japan. When the G1, uh, do you think this is the beginning of something? Yeah, absolutely. That, I mean, that's kind of how I look at this. This is my opportunity um, to, to do something special for myself and, and kind of, like you said, a new beginning, a new start, a new chapter in my career. Uh, within the business of professional wrestling and with New Japan. I've been lucky enough to be a part of New Japan for eight years. I've seen a lot of guys come and go. I've been a part of four of these G1 climaxes, but that was five years ago when the G1 was extremely huge and special in Japan. But now it's be <laughs> become this you know, global spectacle that it is becoming and has become, and the world's eyes are going to be watching this. And like I said, the, for the first time ever, uh, the tournament's happening outside of Japan, and you know, all these factors are playing in for me. I see it as a prime opportunity for everyone in the world to see exactly who I know I am, what I can do, and then advance on that and move forward on that. You know, and like you said, I've primarily been a tag team guy within New Japan uh, for the last, you know, six years. You know, uh, KES was a team since 2012. Uh, so the fact that this is my first real opportunity outside of that and just on my own and doing my own thing, you know, so I'm going to take every chance I've got, every competitor I step in the ring with from Will Ospreay here in Dallas to the Okadas and Tanahashis and Ibushis and Fales and everybody else that's in my block. And then, you know, my plan is obviously to, to win the whole damn thing, to uh, face whoever wins the B block and then win that and then go on to headline one of the two Tokyo Domes that we have coming up on January 4th right. and 5th, 2001. Yeah, yeah. It, do you feel an added sense of urgency because of where you are in your career now? I mean, if, if Wikipedia is right, I think you're 42 years old. You've been in the business for a while now. It, it, does it kind of feel like it's it's now or never? Um, I've kind of looked at it that way my whole career. You know, I, I think I've constantly, the whole time, I've been lucky and blessed. Believe me, I'm not, I don't regret anything, and I'm very proud of what I've done in the business. You know, I've had a long run uh, with top companies and, and working, but I, I've looked at my whole career as this is kind of, this is it. I have to do it now. I, this is my opportunity or maybe nothing else will ever come. You know? um, so even with my 19 years in the business and the age, which I will not mention again, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I absolutely look at this as I've got to do this now because nobody else is going to give me 
this chance. I have to take this chance. You know, they've, they've given me, they put me in the G1. Now it's on my shoulders. And, you know, I, I believe in myself, absolutely. And you've got this generation of, again, Will Ospreay, Deuce, uh, Jay White, who's already been the IWGP heavyweight champion, uh, the plethora of foreigners and guys in that have come into the company. Like when I started back in 2011, uh, I think there were four or five of us, you know, Giant Bernard, Carl Anderson, uh, Ferg Devitt, who's now Finn Balor, uh, you know, myself, and then, you know, Fale and Tomatonga were both young boys at the time, young lions at the time. Uh, so there was a very small number of foreigners, you know, and it was primarily still a Japanese company with a few foreigners sprinkled in. And now the company's about 50 50 um, with this new young generation uh, of hybrid wrestlers that are coming up in the business. You know, 2019 is a very different era in the business of professional wrestling. And I'm always trying to adapt. I'm always trying to move forward. And like I said, I, I see this every, as I've seen every opportunity in my career as my chance to do something now or never type situation. Yeah. And with New Japan looking to, to expand, get more foothold here in the United States, I imagine they're going to be looking to guys uh, like you, the, the English speakers, the, the Gaijin, um, more and more. Do, do you um, feel as uh, – as you mentioned, I guess one of the, the veteran guys in, in, in the locker room there, do you feel that, that pressure, that responsibility to represent New Japan here in the United States? I wouldn't call it pressure, but I absolutely understand that my role is there. You know, in a sense, I don't know what else you want to call it, kind of a Gaijin father figure, you know, because like a lot of these guys who are coming up now and becoming the main stars, like, again, like Jay White, who's, you know, just not that long ago was a young lion and then did his stint in the U.S. with ROH and now he's come back to New Japan and he's already been the champion and things like that. Um, you've got guys like this who are, are the future of this company and I see myself as a part of the now of this company and I'm pushing myself to always be a part of this company and be a part of that future with those guys. Uh, but, you know, again, I've been lucky enough to be in the business for a decent amount of time and been on, around some amazing people and some uh, big organizations and being that I've been a part of New Japan, you know, eight years now since 2011, I kind of, yeah, I kind of see myself as a, a locker room leader in that essence for, for this side of the ball. And I'm always, like I said, pushing myself forward. And with that expansion that New Japan is doing, both here in the U.S. and the U.K. and the other English-speaking countries around the world, you know, I think the opportunity is opening so much wider than it used to be even when I first started this company. Even though there's a lot more guys, um, there's a lot more opportunity at the same time. Well, what do you think American fans want to see from New Japan? Because I've, I've heard uh, a bit of a debate about this, uh, and it goes the other way too, right? So, so uh, WWE, I think, is was just in Japan maybe this past weekend, and they put uh, uh, Nakamura in in the main event, a guy who who frankly you know has not been the main event player for them for a while, but I think often that's kind of the uh, the reflex is we, we're going to go to their country, let's feature their their guy and. and they love Nakamura. I know that. But the flip side of that is um, when New Japan has come to the United States here over the last couple of years, featured a lot of American uh, talent. And I know some, there's been a, a backlash by some saying, uh, no, we want to see the, the Japanese guys. That, that's the appeal of, of New Japan coming here. So what, what is that balance, do you think? Um, you know, ultimately, I think the fans want to see straight up awesome pro wrestling. And we do have exactly that. And I, I think, yeah, you know, uh, wrestling fans want to kind of see what they don't normally get to see, you know, uh, 
they've been watching me and some of the guys that have been in the States for a long time and things like that. So they want to kind of experience the Tanahashi's and the Okada's, you know, and then the Naito's and those guys that they haven't necessarily gotten full opportunities to see because, you know, the fans that are watching on Access TV or they're watching on New Japan War or wherever they're tuning in to see New Japan Pro Wrestling, they're seeing these guys, they're seeing the reaction they're getting in Japan. They want to experience that live and in person. And, you know, I know we had a little bit of a hiccup uh, with the tour that unfortunately didn't feature any of the Japanese talent, and there was a little bit of backlash to that, but that was, you know, none that was none of New Japan's fault, you know, and, and people don't truly understand that, and people just like to say things online sometimes without a truly understanding the situation. And this is one of the prime opportunities with the G1 Climax. Like I said, it's featuring the top talent in all of New Japan. If they ever had issues with not getting to see certain wrestlers and certain matches and things like that, well, the G1 in Dallas is presenting that in the biggest top form they ever could. Your main event is Tanahashi versus Okada. I don't think you can get a bigger main event with the history that those two have, you know, going back and forth with the IWGP heavyweight title. You know, Okada became who he is facing Tanahashi. Tanahashi was the ace, still is the ace of New Japan Pro Wrestling. He's, you know, attributed to kind of bringing New Japan out of its dark ages back in the day. And, you know, so if, if they've ever had an issue with the stuff that's happened in the past, this is, here you go. This is exactly what you've been asking for. This is what you want. Here you go. And I think a lot of people don't even truly understand the scale that is the G1 Climax. The tournament itself is, I think, unmatched in all of professional wrestling. I don't think there is a company that presents a singles tournament, a singles heavyweight tournament, like the G1 Climax. And I don't care what you're watching, what you like, what you don't like, what, you, what you're happy about, what you're complaining about, whatever company that has existed forever, how long, or the newest company that's coming into play right now. Nobody has what the G1 Climax is. And, and the tournament that it presents, I think a lot of fans in America, uh, if they come and experience it live, are going to leave dumbfounded. The ones who are going to watch it on TV are going to ask it wish they had bought a ticket and flown to Dallas or got to drove to Dallas and came and experienced it live. You know, and it will only present growth in the future when New Japan keeps doing these things. You know, but we need the fans to support it and understand it and, and come and enjoy it. And I think the ones who are going to be there in Dallas are going to leave so happy and so ecstatic and so enthralled with what New Japan presents on the top scale of top scale of professional wrestling. That uh, there's going to be a buzz that nobody expected to happen in a way that, you know, like I said, some people have complained in the past about certain things. But New Japan Pro Wrestling is presenting the G1 Climax with the top talent of the top talent wrestling each other for a tournament that means more than any other tournament in the business. And it's happening July 6th here in Dallas, Texas. Yeah, it's a real authentic kind of a New Japan presentation. And, and you mentioned uh, a buzz, and, and I can't remember a time where there's been. Um, this kind of buzz uh, in wrestling, and, and it's just in, incredible that when you talk about um, just from an attendance uh, perspective, what are going to be the, the, the some of the biggest shows in the United States this summer? Um, at, at least two of them are not WWE shows, right? So in, in between um, uh, this show coming up and everything AEW is doing, and, and the numbers that they're doing for for All Out, what, what does it say about? this time in wrestling now that, and, and the flip side of that is that I think it's been well documented that WWE has been struggling with, with some live attendance. Does it just speak to the taste of American fans now? Yeah, I mean, I've attributed to this kind of era as the, the new territory era. I don't know if that's just my coined term because 
you know, the territories way back in the day, you, you could wrestle in one area if you got, you know, kind of a lull or a plateau going, then you moved on to another area. If you went from world class or the Florida Championship Wrestling up to the WWWF back in the day in the, in the Connecticut area, or you went over to Burton Diamonds, AWA, and so on and so forth, flew over to Japan, did whatever you wanted to do, um, you could move around and bounce around those territories. It, it kind of in a very visible way exists now with, with you know, like I said, New Japan is very visible with New Japan World and Access TV, you know, and all the other platforms, Fight TV and whatnot that will be uh, featured on. And now you have AEW, which, uh, you know, I guess is going to be on TNT at some point soon. Um, you know, ROH, which has their their broadcasting, their program. Um, what is MLW that's on BN Sports and so on and so forth. You've got all these companies that are very visible to the fans, but what it's presenting it is different areas and different ways and different styles of professional wrestling, which I think ignites the fans' uh, excitement to professional wrestling and the idea that you know a lot of these companies are actually kind of working together, so you never know who's going to show up in, in what company at different times and stuff like that. Or you know, are guys going to jump ship? You know, a la Moxie. Everybody knew that he was leaving, but they didn't know exactly what was going to happen. And then when he made his debut at AEW. The roof blew off and people went absolutely insane. And then immediately he's wrestling in New Japan uh, against Juice and becomes the United States champion. So a man that is riding a, a hype and a high that I, I think hasn't happened in forever in this business is happening right now. And it's happening in front of the fans. And like I said, opportunities for these guys to kind of go and work in these other companies and be on these big stages is very visible. A lot of the independent wrestling that you're watching is putting out very high quality product with, with wrestlers and production and stuff like that. I mean, you know, PWG out in California, you've got uh, Russell Circus here in, in Texas and Austin, Texas, and they're always broadcast on like Twitch and other platforms like that. And, um, people are getting to see these wrestlers that they never knew existed in ways that they never knew that they could watch them. And they're just, I think, excited because now they have so many options and all the options are so damn good. Um, yeah. New Japan, like I said, is, is one of the biggest companies in the world, in my opinion right now, still is the second largest company in the world and, and expanding and getting bigger. They just left Australia. Uh, we've got the G1 that's happening soon. Then they go, we go to the UK at the end of August. I mean, it's just expanding and exploding and becoming something that's too much fun for the fans. And all we need for the fans is to keep enjoying it. Don't don't get negative. Don't look at products and say, ah, I hate this and that, da, da, da. Just enjoy the wrestling that you're getting. You're getting so much great wrestling. Yeah, yeah. And it couldn't have worked out better for you, right? Because, I mean, when you talk about, uh, as you said, kind of the new territory system, this wasn't in place just a few years ago. So when, when you left WWE at, at that time, I, I think, you know, the, the thought was, if it doesn't work out for, for you in WWE, you, you can only go down from there, right? So this was the, the opportunity, and, and now whatever you do next, will be at least the rung or several rungs lower. But as you touched on, your biggest run has been post-WWE um, and, and for a, a, a company that in a lot of metrics is just as big and, and sometimes bigger than, than WWE. So um, can you take me back to, to when you left the company? Were, were you down? Were, was it, were you always optimistic that these opportunities would be ahead of you? Um, or, or was it just like, well, I, I, I need to find work and, and this is an opportunity and I'm going to take it? You know, I've always been very driven in everything that I did in this business. You know, nothing's ever been given to me. I'm not a legacy of sport. Um, I've always been trying, like I said earlier, I'm trying to prove myself in this business. And 
you know, um, I've had some bumps in the road, but each time I've had a bump in the road, I've just simply looked east, what's the next chapter? Where do I go next? How do I improve myself? How do I prove myself in another company, in another place, wherever that is, you know? So my time when my TNA time ended and I immediately hooked on to WWE and, and tried to make a name for myself there. It didn't work out. As soon as that was done, I started reaching out to people because I'd already worked in Japan uh, previously and was trying to come back over to Japan and work some of the, whether it was the independent stuff or I'd actually worked in all Japan back in 2009 for a tour. So initially I was trying to go back there and then uh, all Japan kind of wavered on what they were, a financial situation and whatnot. So the person that was trying to help me uh, reached out to New Japan. And, and ultimately, once I came face to face with the people that were running New Japan, Gato and, and you know all the wrestlers from Kojima to Suzuki and so on and so forth that I'd already had contact with and, and had conversations with and so on and so forth, from my days in TNA and WWE, you know, that that relationship just kind of blossomed from there. And, you know, I've seen every opportunity uh, as a chance to reprove myself. And that's exactly what I saw when I got my opportunity in New Japan. And New Japan has been great for me. You know, it's one of those situations where every time I stepped out there, I did what I did and I'd come back and it was, hey, great job. Uh, but please, more big, more strong, more monster. They kept saying that, more monster, more scary, more big. Everything, everything was like more, please more, great, but more. And that helped build a confidence in me that I, I never had previously in my career. Whereas I think, and I'm not knocking anything, but there was a lot of times, whether it was the other companies I was working with, you know, you go do things and you come back and immediately like, ah, yeah, you can't do this, you can't do that, you don't do this, don't do that. And it was like, kind of where in a spin of, okay, what can I do? What don't I do? What, you know, should I do? So on and so forth. And when I got to New Japan, it was like, great, but more, stronger, bigger, more monster, so on and so forth. And it just helped build a confidence in me, um, again, that I never had before in my career. So that's, I think, what has been the best part of my time in New Japan. And like you said, the visibility, even when I started, almost was non-existent in the, in the States outside of Japan. You know, you could watch it on YouTube and I could share, you know, different videos and whatnot, whether it was YouTube or daily motion or something of that nature, but it still only reached the audience that I was producing to. Um, and then, you know, it, the funny story is our group, Suzuki Goon, actually went to NOAA uh, for a couple of years. Um, and in that couple of years was kind of when the new Japan world took off. And it was when access TV was really starting to push uh, new Japan on their product and people were watching it and whatnot. So then when we came back to New Japan, it was funny because there were fans that were like, oh, my God, I didn't even know he was still wrestling. Oh, my God, I didn't know that yeah. him and Smith were even a team. When did they start teaming together? But we'd already been two-time IWGP Tag Team <laughs> Champions before, yeah. we, before we even left for Noah and stuff like that. So, you know, there were so many new eyes on the company, you know, even when we came back as compared to what was there before. And then when I started back in 2011 – but even what what is going on now, the amount of people that are watching around the world is just ecstatic for me and for everybody that's watching. It's been fun being a part of the company as it's grown like that. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you still feel like a, a foreigner there, or um, do you feel Japanese in some sense? Does it feel like home after all these years? And uh, again, or, or or again, outside of work, your day off, you're in Japan, you got to run errands, stuff like that. What's it like for you? Uh, you know, I mean, I think you always feel a little bit out of the box. You know, I, the language to me, I, I've picked it up in a good way. I can have very, very basic conversations and, and communications with people around. I, I, I figured out the train systems and things like that. So I'm very comfortable in Japan now. 
So I, I don't feel necessarily like a complete foreigner. I don't feel like a, a tourist of any nature. I'm not running around going, I have no idea what to do or where to go. Now I'm kind of like, okay, I need to go eat at this place. I want to get to this place. And, you know, if I'm meeting up with friends, they're like, oh, I can use the train. I'm like, yeah. And they're like, oh, you can? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. It's not that hard. Um, but when you first go, it's a daunting task because you're like, oh, my God, it's all in Japanese. And it is, but it's also in English. And take your time. You can figure it out. And as far as the wrestling is concerned, you know, being a part of the company for eight years, and it's primarily stayed the same with, you know, the Gato's, the Booker, and a lot of the people that are behind the scenes and things like that. Um, I don't feel as much of an outsider, but I also know this business is very finicky. You, know, you can be here one day, gone the next, and, yeah. you know, it's, it's a... It's a I don't know if I can say this, but it's a fickle bitch. And uh, she's not always yeah. the nicest when it comes to this business sometimes. So I know, and that's why I say I'm always trying to prove myself, that you know, at any moment, this business and New Japan could easily just go, thanks for your time, see you later. Or, you know, maybe not even that nice, just bye. You know, sign on yeah. our, and uh, you never know what's going to happen. So, again, I'm always trying to prove myself and make sure that I have a place in this business and, even with the amount of time that I've been in this business and so on and so forth, I'm always trying to reinvent myself, adapt, change, get better, stronger, more monster form, as they always said, um, and be a viable foreigner, a viable gaijin, a, vi a viable wrestler for the future of this company. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned your, your tag team partner a few times, and, and he's another guy who seems to have a lot of buzz around him uh, now, and, and a guy who... Feel like only now people are looking at and, and saying like wow this guy's got everything you know he's got the, the legacy with um uh, who his father was and the size and the look and he's kind of put it all together um what, what do you think is the the, the upside of, of david boy smith jr harry smith um are, are, are you just blown away by his work um yeah absolutely. i mean you know it's one of those things where uh, i think Everybody has their own path. Everybody has their own struggles. Um, you know, and like you said, he's he is a legacy. He's living up to his father's name and things like that. But also at the same time, he's trying to make his own name uh, for himself in this business. You know, and he he had a decent run in WWE. You know, he was a tag champion with Tyson Kidd and stuff like that. But unfortunately, it was kind of put on the back burners. You know, we had a really good run as tag team uh, in Japan with New Japan as KES and whatnot. Um, now he's venturing out trying to do something for himself. You know, I know he's working with MLW and the Hart Dynasty and stuff like that, but he's starting to get a little bit of that uh, that buzz, like you said, you know, for himself. So I'm I'm happy for whatever he's choosing to do. You know, this business changes and it grows and people go in different paths and whatnot. And so who knows what's going to happen in the future. But, you know, for now, I, I hope the best for him. And I think he does have those tools. He has the size. He has the athletic ability. He has the legacy. He has all those tools that can help make him a star. He just has to find that opportunity. And, you know, it is where he chooses to go and, and wherever he chooses to go, I hope is full success. When, when you're part of a tag team like that and you're so associated as, as one half of a duo for so long, when you do go your separate ways, how much of it is uh, exciting, energizing, a, a new challenge, and how much of it is a little scary, like you feel like, oh, wow, I'm now, I'm, now I'm on my own and, and – not not a feeling of abandonment, but again, kind of the unknown. Yeah, I, I'm more excited. I'm more excited in the sense that, like I said, being that I'm a part of the G1 Climax this year, um, the opportunities that are in front of me, the chances for me to, again, reprove myself. And I have fun doing that, you know, preparing for this G1, you know, coming up with ideas of how to kind of tweak my own self, my own character, and everything that I've done in the ring 
you know, presenting to the fan base kind of, in essence, something new that they think they haven't seen before. You know, it's always funny when I do certain things in this business. I throw in a moonsault once in a while, and there's so many people that will comment, oh, my God, I didn't know you could do that. I've been doing moonsaults since 2002. I just don't do them all the time. So when I throw them out there, people are surprised by it. Um, so I see this as an exciting opportunity for myself to move forward. And, again, like we all talked about earlier, is, is making a new chapter for the American Psycho Lance Archer and New Japan Pro Wrestling, being a part of their now and a part of their future. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Lance, thank you so much, man. Best of luck. Uh, it's, it's a real feel-good story that you can have this opportunity in your hometown to, to do this. And, uh, yeah, hope, hope for big things ahead of you in New Japan. Thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you, man. I appreciate, I appreciate right, your time, man. man. Absolutely. Take care. Best of luck. Have a good night.